You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah Stockdale, and I am the founder and CEO of Grow Class, and I'm going to be your guest host for today. I'm so excited to introduce our guest, Paul. Paul Briggs is eMarketer's Principal Analyst Canada for Insider Intelligence and is based in Kitchener-Waterloo. Since joining eMarketer in 2013, Paul has covered all forms of digital media in Canada, including advertising, mobile, social media, video, and e-commerce. He's a frequent media contributor and speaks at events across the country. I'm so happy to have you here, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. No, it's my pleasure. It's been um, something I've been looking forward to for a couple of weeks now. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I would love to hear from you. Tell us a little bit about how you got here. What are you doing now? Sure. Yeah, my my uh, my role is principal analyst for uh, Insider Intelligence for Canada. Um, people may may know our research firm uh, by the term eMarketer. So mm-hmm. eMarketer has been a brand that's uh, been in the market for twenty plus years, and right now um, we still use the brand eMarketer, but um, it's part of Insider Intelligence, um, which is a which has a grander vision for, for being, um, you know, the most influential research company in the world. So we, we, we expand beyond just marketing. So insider intelligence is part of uh, that rebrand that we've done uh, in the last couple of years um, to, uh, to communicate to the market what our mission is. Amazing. And tell me a little bit more about the kinds of research that you do. Right. So, so my particular focus is sort of media and advertising and uh, in e-commerce. So our forecast team has a host of forecasts that cover um, a wide range of digital behaviors from consumers so that marketers uh, in Canada and elsewhere can plan their budgets accordingly, uh, make decisions that's based on data. Um, so those forecasts are really the fuel uh, for, for a lot of our research. Um, and, and our analysis. Is there anything that you've come across recently that surprised you? Well, there's, um, a, a lot actually. <laughs> uh, so, um, it, you know, are we getting into the personal side of the equation right now or are we still talking professionally, but I can talk about professional stuff as well. What really surprised me was the pace of, um, generative AI yes. in the last, uh, nine to 12 months the pace with which it kind of enthralled the whole business world. And, uh, you know, I know internally we, we are very active in understanding the potential of generative AI, um, starting with ChatGPT. And I know a lot of the listeners to this podcast, a lot of marketers, a lot of digital thinkers have been testing generative AI to see what it can provide for their company. So, the, so, so what surprised me about that was the pace of how quickly it took hold and how quickly people acted to start testing it and start innovating with it. Um, AI is not new, right? We've been hearing about AI for for many, many years, Uh, but this application of AI is pretty remarkable um, and everybody is trying to figure it out. So I think how quickly that took hold was probably something that surprised me. Yeah, there was, I think there was only six months between GPT-3 and GPT-4. Like there was, it was such a short window of innovation. Um, yeah, and the, comp- and the companies behind it, including OpenAI and, and uh, Microsoft and Google, have the resources to really, really um, 
accelerate innovation in the space. So um, when you've got powerhouse companies like that who are investing resources and time and money into making it a very effective technology for organizations and consumers, you're going to see innovation at a very rapid pace. I'm, ex I'm excited to learn more about you and more about your background. Uh, tell me a little bit of your origin story. What got you to this point in your career? Sure, yeah, it, um, I started out, um, so, so, just to, so right now I'm a principal analyst for eMarketer. I've been doing that for 10 years, insider intelligence. Um, so that's sort of been, actually that's the longest tenured job I've had. Um, and it speaks to sort of what I, I kind of found my sweet spot, right? Um, a lot of it's writing, a lot of it is podcast um, uh, contributions and so forth about digital transformation in the market and what it means for marketers and what it means for, for all sorts of other functions in the business. But I started out, so, th so this, the skills that I have to do this job started out way back when I was a journalist. So I started out uh, with Southern in Toronto, uh, a business journalist, and uh, I did that for about five years. And then I was covering a company called Descartes Systems Group in Waterloo. And um, I got to know them a little bit, and then eventually I went to work for them. So that's how I sort of brought myself and my family to Waterloo um, and uh, started working in the tech sector. So Descartes was a software company. Um, and then we were sort of the little brother or sister to the big kahuna in town, which was Research in Motion, also known as BlackBerry. So the temptation and the allure of going to work for, for RIM back um, back in the heyday was, was very appealing. And I did that for seven or eight years. And when RIM was really, really cooking. And, um, you know, I think the, the, I, when I started the company, we were a $4 billion uh, a year revenue company. And we jumped that to $20 billion in the course of like three or four years. It was amazing growth. And as a result, as a marketer, so I, so I had that writing skill, I was a communications um, professional, and that eventually kind of meshed well with marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so that marketing function that I had at, uh, at BlackBerry, it was great to work for a company like that that was in hypergrowth because marketing budgets were fantastic. And Imagine. you could do a lot of um, experimentation this is when digital marketing was just starting to become the primary way that companies would, would engage with consumers. So we were testing out digital marketing back in the early, early days. And um, it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, there was a ton of um, opportunity to really figure this stuff out. And, uh, you know, I've met the other good story about RIM is that I've met at least half a dozen people in my life including my wife um, and best friends that were at RIM and those relationships persist to this day. So it's, it's been, it was a great, uh, it was a great environment for that, for the personal sort of connections that you made with people as you were innovating, but it was also cool for professional development as well. Yeah. I can imagine being on a rocket ship like that at the, in, in the time that it was in its heyday, there yeah, must've, the pace of learning must've been breakneck. It was, it really was. And thankfully we had, um, we had sort of budgets that allowed us to do a lot of experimental things 
So a lot of those things fell flat, but a lot of those things probably paved the way for digital innovation and digital marketing in the future. We had teams that were very focused on digital marketing exclusively and trying to figure it out. And, um, and in, in many cases, um, we did. Uh, unfortunately, it, the, the, the end of the story is uh, the company was disrupted by, by the iPhone primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, all that learning had to be uh, applied elsewhere. Yeah. And is that so the, the transition from RIM into your next role, was that at that time when the iPhone was coming about? It was a little later. So um, I remember, it's funny, I remember we were, we were watching Steve Jobs introduce the iPhone on our work computers, um, whatever year it was. Um, we were all in the office and we were like, oh, this is unbelievable. This is, we kind of underestimated the potential of it. Um, not all of us. I think I'm sure there's lots of people within the company that um, saw the potential for a consumer-focused device that was very slick and very powerful. Um, but I think um, a lot of us were watching it at, at the time and didn't really understand that we were being disrupted as it happened. Um, and there's a whole lots, there's a whole backstory and other factors involved in in why uh, RIM couldn't compete so well. But um, the simple answer is a massive disruption story. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, I've recently watched the the movie, um, the new Blackberry movie, and there's there's a scene of the team watching the iPhone release, and you can <laughs> you can kind of see people scoffing at it and people dismissing it, and then there's a few people in the room who seem to be like, this might be a bad time for us. Yeah, it's funny because when the movie came out, um, uh, some of some of the old timers from Rim. We actually, there was a group of us that got together to go see the movie and watch it. Oh, and then afterwards, we afterwards we compared notes about what was uh, what rang true and what was a little bit more Hollywood. Um, but uh, it was fun. It was great to see those people again and and kind of watch a movie that uh, kind of depicted a, a moment in time where we were embroiled in this innovative sort of company and what what the you know great things that it did for that period of time. That's an incredible, that's an incredible trip. And so what happened after that you had your seven, was it seven year tenure? Yeah. Um, between seven and eight. So seven and a half, let's say. Mm-hmm. And um, I, then I worked um, in product marketing for another tech firm. Um, but my, I had an interview with eMarketer uh, in 2012 and I knew eMarketer well. Um, and I thought very highly of it. And I'm like, this is the kind of job that I would love to do. I was sort of, I always enjoyed the part of the marketing function at RIM and at Descartes where we engaged with industry analysts. So mm-hmm. I kind of said, you know, one day maybe I'll be an industry analyst and I can kind of take my writing skills and, and apply it to that particular uh, function. Um, so the, I, I had a job or an interview for the job back in 2012. Um, and we like each other. We didn't have any employees in Canada. So the, the leap for the company was to invest in a Canadian employee or think about a Canadian operation to, to build out, which ultimately we did not do. Um, but um, so that, that in 2012, and then I started out as a part-time contributor. So mm-hmm. um, even though I think we, we, I, was in, I was being interviewed for the mobile analyst role, 
I obviously came from RIM and BlackBerry, and I had a lot of mobile understanding, especially how it applied to apps and consumers and all that kind of thing. So um, I was well positioned to take that job, but being based in Canada, it was a bit of a, a leap for the company. But after writing a year's worth of reports for them on a part-time basis, they eventually said, and I have to, you know, had a, a very innovative colleague called Sherry Adams um, at eMarketer that fought to have a full-time analyst in Canada because she was the primary business development and salesperson in the country. And she realized that Canadian marketers, Canadian companies want local data to make decisions based on. For, for too many years, it was extrapolating U.S. data to make decisions in Canada, and that just wouldn't cut it anymore. So I think, you know, at the time, our sales team realized that having a local analyst or an analyst in the country um, producing content on a continual basis was going to be was going to do well for for um, for our business. And um, and yeah, so that was that was started in 2013 on a full time basis. And and uh, now it's 10 plus years. What would you say in the past 10 years, you've watched these trends, you've been analyzing these trends for the past 10 years. What's been the the most eye-opening thing that you have been following? I think um, across our coverage area, so we're talking about uh, social media, um, e-commerce, digital video, mm. um, you know, digital marketing in general. I've been writing about this lag in Canada when it comes, it compare, especially compared to the U.S., when it comes to innovation and investment in innovative technologies. Um, and I heard about that for a long time. There's a whole discussion around the productivity gap in Canada. Um, but having, based on our forecast that I've seen over these last 10 years, there is a gap. Uh, it, the Canadian marketers, based on the industry that they're in, it could be telco, it could be the financial sector. The competition is somewhat limited, so the the carrot to go and innovate and take a risk is less um, apparent here than it is, say, in the U.S., where there's multiple levels of competition at a national, regional, you know, state level. So I think that. Um, that idea that there was, uh, you know, more conservative approach to marketing in Canada, um, I think I wasn't so sure I believed until having um, 10 years worth of forecast data and seeing that there is, in fact, a gap. Uh, and it's really just a, it, it's a, it's a consequence of the structure of our industries and how many players there are and how competitive it is. So I think um, that's probably been one of the big learnings that I've had um, over the last decade. Yeah, I've absolutely seen that in in my work as well. And I've, you know, worked for Silicon Valley startups and Toronto-based startups. Um, and the, the pace at which investors, or the, the expectation of growth and the expectation of like big bets and and spending and i still remember when i was i was working at a, a startup based in san francisco and the amount of money that we would pour into things like we spent two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to be part of the beta group of instagram's ad platform no canadian startup would have given us a quarter million dollars was it a good was it a good spend of money absolutely not we did not get our <laughs> we did not get a quarter million dollars worth of growth from that ex 
experiment, but I've never seen that in, that kind of thing encouraged in Canada, for better or for worse. I've kind of seen it on both sides. Yeah. And I think it, it's funny because I think at, at RIM, I think we were the exception because we were the global leader in, mm. in um, mobile devices at one point. We didn't act like a Canadian company. We acted like a global company. Yeah. Um, and so there was, um, that was an exception, I think. There's a few others as well where they, you know, like Spotify is a good example right now. E-commerce platform that is, you know, doing amazingly well um, over the course of the last, you know, several years, notwithstanding sort of the dips that's happened in the last, you know, year or so. But um, but that innovation, they don't act like a Canadian company. They act like a global company. So I think that uh, those are where the exceptions lie. And what would you say? So if there's marketers listening to this right now and they're thinking, I want to develop that skill set of thinking larger, thinking on a more global level, what would you say that they should start building into their practice, building into their day to day? I think it starts with training um, and identifying the skill sets that are going to be very important in a few years time and then investing in training your employees, especially the ones that are, are that are very curious and very open to inventive ideas and having those people sort of shepherd the company along, even if they're, it's sort of, it doesn't have to be their primary role, but that could be a, uh, you know, a, a large function of what they do to really dig into the potential of these new technologies and innovation. So it's training around, you know, obviously the hottest topic, generative AI. So every company should be having somebody, and I know we do, um, have people um, training their employees and investigating it, testing the technology, applying it in the market in some limited fashion. Um, and uh, that's the kind of train, that's the kind of sort of innovative um, approach I, that I think people sh companies should be taking. And that starts with having a good base of trained employees. I, I heard many times back, so, you know, closer to when I started at eMarketer, a lot of what I would hear in talking to chief marketing officers or VPs of marketing is that they have a hard time finding skilled digital marketers, people who really um, understood the nuances of Google Analytics and, and how to leverage Facebook and Instagram and, and, and various other, you know, YouTube. There was a lot, there was a lack of skill in the Canadian market uh, about that. So that has changed. Now it's, I think this, the skill gap has closed completely. Uh, but what are the next things, right? So whatever the next innovation is or the next technology that's going to change the way marketers perform their function, getting ahead of it and having people skilled on that early will be beneficial for, for companies who want to lead in their space. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Where is eMarketer heading now? You've been there for 10 years. What is the direction that you're seeing for the next five? 
I, you know, our vision, and it's funny because we talk about our vision a lot, and, and it actually has a five-year sort of schedule on it. And it's to be the most influential research company. Um, and, and that includes the key coverage areas that we, that we talk about. So media and advertising, e-commerce, financial services, um, et cetera. So our goal is to have analysts like myself producing the content and then talking to the market about what our findings are and, uh, and let people know that this, this data exists and it's very important, um, for, for people who are making budget decisions uh, to invest in certain areas based on data and based on information from our, from, from, a, from a research firm like us. So that's sort of our, that's our vision. There's a, there's a lot going on in Canada where we, we have forecast for the Canadian market that no other research firm has. Um, one of the recent high profile um, discussion points is the duopoly in Canada. And this relates to Google and Meta um, and their share of digital ad revenue in the country. And um, the government and many national reporters are reporting the fact that it's about an 80% share of digital advertising is, is, is occupied by Google and Meta. Our numbers suggest otherwise. Our numbers are closer to 60%. Um, so, and that I, I, I do, because we used to rely on the same source a couple of years ago before we started forecasting this stuff. I haven't, I know where they're coming up from that data, but, but it's very interesting that we are sort of the singular source for that information um, in the market. So that's one example. There's a few others. So I think that um, that puts us at an advantage, I think. And it, and it gives the Canadian market and marketers in Canada and, 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 uh, and people who are basing their budget decisions on, on data, it gives, it gives them a leg up. And I think yeah. that's important. No, absolutely. I'm so curious. So at the 60% mark, what's making up the rest of that pie? Right. So it's digital advertising from the other social platforms, including mm -hmm. TikTok, which is rising. Twitter, or X as they call it now, uh, is, it has a, a slice of that. Um, digital revenues from traditional publisher, traditional publishers. So the big publishers in this country include Bell Media and Rogers and, and Shaw and Chorus. They have digital um, offerings as well. Um, and, you know, I think YouTube is a big part of that story. Actually, YouTube's part of Google, obviously, so that's part of the duopoly. But that type of internet-based advertising um, which gets pretty fragmented. Once you get beyond the duopoly, it gets pretty fragmented in terms of shares of domestic publishers and the other social platforms and video platforms. Um, we don't forecast to that level of granularity. Um, other than the two big ones, we don't forecast anything for Bell or Rogers or, mm. or anything like that. But we do, uh, we do focus on the big, the big hitters <laughs> um, in, in the space. Absolutely. That it, it's interesting that there's an 80%, like 80% and 60%. There's a big gap there, right? From what the government thinks the monopoly is versus what it might right. actually be. 60% is still a huge monopoly, but I'm, still, I'm just it's, interested. It's still, pretty, it. it's still pretty large for sure. And, um, you know, I think part of it, I don't think we, what we, the background here is it's the, the Bill C-18, the Online News Act, Um where there's a lot of discussion about just how much influence does, does Meta, Facebook, and Instagram, and Google have on um, the news publishing space in Canada. 
Um, so there's the the 80% number serves a purpose, mm-hmm. um, but it'd be good for, um, you know, I think our numbers tell a different picture. Um, and I think it's important that the market knows that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm curious. So we've talked a little bit about where eMarketer is going. I want to hear a little bit about where you think marketing is going because you're seeing all of this information a lot of the time before the rest of us are. What do you suspect is going to change in the next five years? I think, um, so, so staying on the topic of the duopoly, uh, both Google and Meta are facing increased scrutiny from regulators around the world. So I think what we're going to see is more fragmentation and more opportunity for companies to be innovative in the digital marketing space and claim share from the duopoly. Mm-hmm. One key area is retail media. So retail media networks like Amazon and Walmart Connect and Loblaw Media in Canada. Instacart is kind of in that definition as well. Um, this category of advertising is rising really, really fast. And our our uh, our key analysts call it the third wave of digital an- advertising. Uh, is that this retail media um, behemoth is really going to change the way a lot of categories, especially CPG, um, look at how they reach consumers while they're shopping online. Right? It's driven by e-commerce. It's driven by um, that whole online shopping imperative and and, and tendency that we all love now. Um, so, so that retail media opportunity, I think, is huge, and and we're we're in the process of of coming up with um, data around re- the the retail media opportunity in Canada. We've done it for the U.S. We've done it for Latin America. We're now trying to spread that out to other key markets, uh, but it's pretty early still with retail media in in, in markets like Canada. Um, so, it's really important, I think, for for people to understand what the opportunity is, how that investment in retail media is a solid alternative to um, the duopoly in terms of digital advertising. So I think that if, if I had to choose one thing, I'd say retail media is sort of the 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 uh, the real opportunity that's going to happen in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing for marketers to start learning about and thinking about because the there are a lot of platforms that are top of mind when you're looking for training and when you're looking to go out and develop a skill set. And moving away from the duopoly of Meta and Google in terms of where most of our paid spend is going, starting to learn other platforms. I have a friend who's really uh, and a really incredible marketer for out of home. So he's he's phenomenal at figuring out those opportunities um, that have nothing to do with digital marketing um, and helping folks learn the skill set of bringing that to their companies Um and I love that. I love that there's a retail media opportunity that you're seeing there that's going to be a completely new skill set for folks to build out. Yeah, I think that's really I think that's really the one that I would that I would point to for sure. And it does focus on a few categories like CPG and and, and other sort of um, home products that get sold through through grocery stores and mass merchants like a Walmart or Wal- or Amazon. So I think um, it's such a big aspect of disposable income and what occupies uh you know share of wallet and i think mm-hmm. you know it, it's that fact alone is going to drive its growth yeah no i completely agree 
So in terms of if you're if you're talking to someone who's just getting into marketing, they're pretty new to it. What are you recommending to them in terms of things that they should be reading or listening to? Um, I, well, definitely, whenever your employer says, do you want to go to a conference? Definitely <laughs> say yes <laughs> and go and soak it in. I think um, where I learned a lot of what's happening in digital marketing and, and just marketing in general before that was attending industry events, looking at who the leaders were, understanding the topics that were that were uh, driving the the tracks that they that the conference organizers came up with when they were when they were putting their agenda together. All that is very very important, I think. So it's it's a real learning mindset, and uh, it's about being curious as well. Um, what are you know not just how do I do my job today, but how am I going to do my job better, you know, a year from now or two years from now? And I think that is a constant discovery process. So committing to that you know, kind of lifelong learning from a, from a professional angle is, is a really good way to get started, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And what advice would you give to that person um, in terms of where to be spending their time learning to get ready for the next five years? Um, I think there's so much content available now. I think for me, um, I'm just thinking of podcasts. So I, I am a voracious podcast consumer. Um, and it goes, it cuts across both personal and professional. So I learn a lot about what's happening, uh, in the media landscape from listening to some podcasts like Candleland is one that I like. It's, uh, it deals, one. you know, media criticism. It talks about the media landscape in Canada from a very frank angle. <laughs> uh, that talks about the limitations of, 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 of the media landscape in Canada. So I like that. It also covers um, other, other issues as well around how journalists perform their jobs. And I think, mm. you know, for me, I think uh, starting out as a journalist, all that has sort of, it has an appeal to me to listen to. Um, so yeah, podcasts are one example, you know, for people to learn from. Um, like it depends on if you have a lot of spare time and what you do in your spare time, if it's walking the dog, if it's going for a run, if it's training for some other thing you want to do, um, if you want something in your ear, um, it's, you know, podcasts are a great way to do it. That's, you know, that's very slanted because it's what I do, but, um, it's, it's pretty easy too. It's not, it's not a lot of lifting in podcast listening. It's basically put your headphones in, make sure your battery's charged on your phone and, uh, or if your, your wireless earbuds are charged and if you're going out for a couple hours to do whatever, that's the only work you got to do. Yeah. I've got a bunch of, uh, rapid fire questions here that I'm excited okay, cool. to ask you. What was sure. your first job? My first job, um, so my first job was at the Canadian National Exhibition, uh, the CNE. Cool. Um, what did you do at the CNE? The, well, this is so my mom. My mom ran um, in the food building. My mom ran Peak Freens. So Peak Freens is the cookie company. She ran that I for a three week period, and uh, all her children basically <laughs> worked for her. So I would we would go down every day and um in the car 
<laughs> and uh, and I would just do like I, I was like fourteen or fifteen at the at the time. So I was you know I was moving boxes and making sure the stocks were you know you know fully stocked etc. But uh, but yeah, but it was a good time because the C and E it's lost its luster over the last you know couple of decades. But um, at a time, the C and E was the cool place to be, and and that's I'm proud to say that was where my first job was. Oh, that's so great. Are you a night owl or an early bird person? Pretty much a night owl, and um, a lot of that has to do with podcasts because I'm yeah. <laughs> I'll put a podcast in at like you know ten thirty. And uh, if it's really interesting, it'll keep me up for an hour or two. So uh, maybe that's something I should change about my sleeping pattern. But um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely I'm definitely more a night owl than an early person. You're spending our time learning. What's better than I, that? That's that's my my view as well. Right? Are you a cat or dog person? Uh, the evidence would suggest that I'm a dog person because I have a dog. Uh, his name's Morty. M O R. M-O-R-D-Y. A lot of people think it's Morty with the T, but he's named Morty. His full name is Mordecai. Um, it's amazing. Because my favorite author is Mordecai Richler. So, um, I was going to ask. Yeah. So I'm like, so he's, the dog is named Mordecai, but I think that's a little bit much for people. So we call him <laughs> Morty. <laughs> that is fantastic. What is the first thing that you ever marketed? Was it maybe cookies? <laughs> well, I, I didn't market for Peak Freens because I was like, I was moving boxes around and uh, <laughs> helping my mom, whatever she wanted me to do. First thing I ever marketed, um, uh, it was software because I, I started out as a journalist and, um, and then covering technology and software companies. And then when I went to work for software companies, we had to figure out how to sell the businesses. So we were selling complex supply chain software, um, which isn't the sexiest kind of product, but we tried to make it really interesting. So that was probably the first thing we did. And, you know, back in the day, we were talking about thought leadership and um, and how to make it uh, urgent for companies to buy this stuff. Um, and it was around the tech bubble time, the early tech bubble in 2000. Mm -hmm. So. It, um, there was a lot of VC money coming into the space. There was a lot of, you know, potential for growth. And, um, and we were, we were giving it a try. Oh, that's awesome. The first thing I ever marketed was accounting software. So same page. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're finding the coolest possible things and right. uh, getting into marketing those. What, what would you say your favorite movie is? That's a tough one. There's, there's so many. Um, I think what I'll point to is that the, my favorite filmmaker right now is Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Oppenheimer was out this summer. Tons of money and tons of uh, you know tick, uh, sales at the box office for Oppenheimer. But and I saw it, and we can leave my movie review to some other <laughs> podcast. But. Um, but like Tenet and Interstellar and Inception, Memento, those films and the way he plays with time to me is very appealing. So Dunkirk is, an, is probably my favorite of them all. Tells a story of extracting the Allied troops from the beach uh, in Dunkirk and the way he plays with three different timelines to execute that movie is 
Like, you don't realize it until about halfway through the movie. I didn't anyway. Um, I thought that was just so clever. And uh, it just epitomizes how he plays with time in his movies. So uh, Christopher Nolan's my guy, I guess. It's it's not a bad bet. It's not a bad one. He's got a, <laughs> an absolutely stellar catalog. What is So you're listening to podcasts right before you go to bed. What is your favorite thing to possibly be listening to late at night? It depends. Um, so I mentioned earlier, Candleland is something that I listen to. That's more of a daytime thing. That's more of a workout thing. I, I don't want to get, because it, it sort of relates to my job. So I don't want to be thinking about my job when I'm going to bed. Um, so um, one thing I've discovered lately is something called Tetragrammaton. Um, and it's Rick Rubin. So the legendary music producer, the Beastie Boys, Metallica, you know, Johnny Cash, he worked with. Um, he just interviews a bunch of people across multiple disciplines. And I just like I just like the style of the podcast more than anything. The conversations are great too. Um, but yeah, that one, he just I think he started it earlier in 2023. So um, I've listened to many of them. Um, and uh, I, I think it's kind of cool. And that kind of, it's he, Rick Rubin has a voice and a yes. demeanor that is very kind of soothing. So if you want to kind of get ready for bed, it's probably a good thing to listen to. Yeah, Rick Rubin sounds like a perfect like nighttime storyteller. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book about marketing or a book about business? Um, I don't. <laughs> um, I, I don't that, either. I, so I, I struggle I, with that question. I guess, I, well, I guess, um, the one thing that I definitely have a favorite book. So I was actually, I started out, uh, English literature was my major, uh, in university. Oh my gosh, me too. So there you go. Avid reader. So we were forced to read what, three books a week? Is that what your experience uh, Minimum, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so I kind of got my fill of reading back in, in, um, in my early 20s. Um, so maybe that's why I love podcasts so much or audiobooks. <laughs> but um, but the, the one that I think, the one book um, that, that sticks out to me as being really um, interesting and has applications to marketers and business and people in general, honestly, it's something called um, Anti-Fragile. Um, mm, yes. And I forget the name. Talib, I think his last name is. And the concept is organisms, organizations, um, people. If you have this ability to adapt and change given forces that are thrown at you, you're going to have a, a greater longevity and a greater ability to not be fragile, essentially. So to be anti-fragile. So that idea, I think, is really important uh, for any entity that that is stuck in their ways or doesn't want to innovate or is afraid of the competition that's going to spell doom at some point um but this idea of being anti-fragile is about um looking for what's going to disrupt you in the future and when it meets you you have an answer for it so i think that i think that applies to marketing it applies to a lot of different things how do you bring that into your career um, I think this is that mindset. I think it's not, um, it's not confronting a new idea or a new challenge or a new requirement with, um, a change management resistance. It's more about 
if you feel that resistance internally, it's probably a sign that you need to do the work to get over it and to understand why you're feeling it and, uh, and, and make yourself anti-fragile. <clears throat> and um, so I think it's about, for me internally, it's when I, um, when I see something for the first time that's a little uncomfortable or a little challenging and something I kind of dismiss at first, ask myself, why am I doing that? And then realize, hopefully, that I need to do the work to kind of understand it and uh, be prepared for whatever whatever new thing is coming down the pipe. I think that's a perfect primer for the next question about what the what is the most important thing that you've changed your mind about? I think um, in the professional context, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it probably is about uh, digital marketing. I think earlier, early on, um, when we were really focused on traditional formats, partnerships, channels, and that sort of thing, not really understanding the, the potential for digital, I think I was probably a little skeptical early on, but then when it became clearly evident that um, that digital marketing was so impactful and it was an acclaim and lion share of the of the budgets of many companies, it, it uh, it's something that I realized and saw that the writing was on the wall. We, we needed to invest in and in, dive in with both feet. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, absolutely. And do you do you have um as you're looking at the work that you're doing in eMarketer, what do you think are going to be the most important skills for somebody to be honing? Uh, I think it's, so we talked about retail media a little earlier. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a company that um, is focused on um, catering to online consumers, catering to people who shop on websites, is really just building up those skill sets to make mm -hmm that purchase journey for those people, very, very easy. Yeah. And that includes mobile apps, that includes payment options, that includes fulfilling the order, making it extremely easy to, for them to, to hit the button once or twice and have the order be performed. And then, uh, and then returns on that order as well. So those types of like, if, if you're in that kind of space, I think that is, you got frictionless commerce is extremely important. And it really divides the winners and the losers in these in these new categories, these direct to consumer categories, um, where a lot of people are shopping on social media um, or on video sites. And I think it's really important to make it really easy for them to transact. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you there. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that I missed that you want to chat about? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot, Sarah. Yeah. I think. Um, um, over the course of, has, has it been a half an hour plus? I think we've covered a whole lot. I didn't think I could talk about myself for a half an hour, but <laughs> I think I've proven myself wrong. <laughs> yeah, you've been fantastic about it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.